Mark chapter 6, continuing our journey through the book of Mark, and uh, what a blessing it has been thus far, and to see the working of God in the life of Jesus Christ, and um, we want to look The first six verses here, you follow along as I read. Then he went out from there, that's Jesus, went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him? that such mighty works are performed by his hands. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. As, As you read this, There's so many things that kind of jump out at us, but one of the things that I was reminded of is often in our life we'll make statements like, Unbelievable! You've got to be kidding me! You can't make this stuff up! Or it might be, I'm, I'm just, I'm just dumbfounded. I'm, I'm without words. All expressions of amazement. And you may be able to think back to things this last week that those were your thoughts or maybe your verbal expressions, but we all have situations in life that that's that's our expression. Unbelievable. And... It says here in this passage that the people were shocked by the teaching and the works that he did, but they still did not really commit themselves to him. And there are two times in the Bible that it says, about Jesus, what it says here, that Jesus marveled at them. In other words, the statement for, from Jesus, it's not just a mild marveling. Two times it says he was shocked. He was unbelievable. I can't believe it. You can't make this stuff up. And the two times were, one, when the centurion came to him with great faith and he asked Jesus to do a miracle and Jesus said, I'll come to your house. And Jesus said, 
You have all power. You don't even need to come to my house. I have faith to believe that you can speak and it will happen. And it says Jesus marveled. Jesus was amazed. He, he said, I've never seen faith like this before. So Jesus was mightily amazed. That was the one instance. This in Mark chapter 6 is the other instance. And it is diametrically opposed to the centurion's faith that amazed. Jesus was in amazement at the unbelief of the people in his own hometown. He, he couldn't comprehend it in the sense that this is incredible. It says he marveled. And as we've mentioned, it's, it's standing in amazement. It is unbelievable that these people had heard the truth. They had seen the truth. They had seen incredible miracles done. But they still turned a deaf ear and a blind eye to the truth. And we read that Jesus left Nazareth, his home area, which was a small community. Probably, they tell us, five to seven hundred people, so everybody knew everybody there. But he was shocked at their unbelief. He left Nazareth, and we don't, we don't read that he ever returned again. And it was, contrary to the centurion, it was their unbelief that shocked him. You know, we, we often divide life into two classes, believers and unbelievers. And, and rightfully so, those that believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin and those that don't. So, we often think, well, I have trusted Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, so Jesus isn't amazed at my unbelief. I'm, I'm here with the centurion. Well, in understanding what unbelief is, and understanding what genuine belief is, we come to see that Trusting Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin is belief, but the whole Christian life is built on belief. And as a believer, I can often be guilty of unbelief. Jesus marveled at his disciples another time uh, that he, he said, not in the same word that is used here, but he he took notice of them and their unbelief. One of the things that we notice here is God knows our hearts. He knew the hearts of the people of his hometown. He knew the hearts of the people that he came in contact with. And he knows our hearts. I don't know your heart. You don't know my heart. You may know a lot about the people that you live with, but you really don't know fully their heart. 
But God knows our heart. He knows our motivation. He knows our thoughts. He understands every detail about our lives. He knows us. And because He knows our heart, it has an impact on His dealings with us. We're going to see when when we have a heart of unbelief, it has a profound impact on our relationship with God. But I want us to note several things first about unbelief. Unbelief, first of all, is natural to mankind. From the very beginning... There's a long, long history of unbelief. And from the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam and Eve, you can have everything in this garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I don't want you to partake of that. And right from the start, it proves that unbelief is natural to man. And of course... You know the account. They were tempted. They believed the lies of Satan and did not believe God, did not rest in his character, did not rest in his wisdom. And from that day on, mankind has been, it's been natural for us to live in unbelief. Noah's generation, another example of it. For 120 years, Noah preached that there would be a flood that would come and destroy the, the land and only those that would be in the ark would be safe. For 120 years, people mocked, people ridiculed, people did not believe. Unbelief comes natural. Israel, God's chosen people, in unbelief. Because they did not believe God, they were kept from the promised land. So, we could go on and on and give many, many examples, but by nature, we are unbelievers. By nature, we doubt God. By nature, we don't believe God. And history is a record of it. Secondly, unbelief activates God's judgment. Adam and Eve did not believe God, and it plunged mankind into the curse of sin. We still today bear the results of that. Noah's generation did not believe God, and God sent a flood that wiped out all of humanity except eight souls that were in the ark. Israel did not believe God and trust Him over and over again, but one of the things, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They were not able to enter the promised land, those that did not believe God. As we said, we could go on and mention many others. Judas did not believe God. And look how his life ended. Unbelief 
goes against the nature and character of God, and unbelief activates God's judgment. Thirdly, unbelief forfeits eternal life and condemns people to hell. Turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and verse 36. John 3.36 He who believes in the Son, Jesus Christ, has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. In Revelation 21 and verse 8, it gives a, a list of those that will be condemned to an eternity separated from God. And it says, But the cowardly or fearful and unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. All the sins that you can think of are covered and forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. But the blood of Jesus Christ is activated in a person's life through faith in Jesus Christ, through belief. He that believeth not is condemned already. It is the unbelievers that are separated. So, God so loved the world that He gave to the world His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So, here's an opportunity for me to have eternal life. But when I do not believe and trust Jesus Christ, I forfeit eternal life and I am condemned separated from God for all eternity. Unbelief is very, very powerful. Unbelief has severe consequences. So these are, these are the big things. But we notice unbelief hinders the work of God. We read in, in Mark chapter 6, He could do no mighty work there except a few things. Why? Because of their unbelief. It wasn't that God, that Jesus Christ lost His power. He still had the power to do great and mighty things, but it's just the fact that He would not do the great and mighty things because of their unbelief. It would, it would not be morally possible for him to do the great and mighty things because of their un- unbelief. It closed the door against the operation of his power. He refused to force himself upon those that didn't want him He refused to do great things to people that didn't believe he was able to. 
He refused to show his power to those that did not really believe he was who he said he was. The same is true in our own life. Do you ever wonder why is it that that we read about in days gone by of great workings and convictings of the Spirit of God and, and people coming under great conviction and falling on their knees even in streets and crying out to God for mercy. And we say, Lord, why, why don't we see that? I ask, is it because of our unbelief? Unbelief hinders the work of God and unbelief grieves the heart of God. Can you imagine Jesus Christ is standing there in all His power and all His glory and knowing what He could do And he sees their unbelief. They don't really believe I'm good. They don't really believe I have their best interest in mind. They don't really believe I am the Son of God. Let alone then to go on and say, not only is he not God, he is of the devil. It it grieves the heart of God, our unbelief, when we don't really believe who He is. This is a a far cry from the grief to the heart of God, but there's a lot of things you learn when you work with animals. I currently have a steer that I've named him Jumpin' Jimmy. He's just, he's always on edge. He's always, and no matter what you do, I've got another one that I've named Nellie, okay? I pour feed, I can go up and stroke Nellie. Jumping Jimmy, I pour feed in the trough. He won't come up until I'm at least three feet away. This morning, I was two feet away, and he came up, but he's looking at me the whole time. You know what I'm saying? That thing is made, I'm in a contest with it, see if I can, but it's made me, this this summer, I'm spraying the cattle to keep flies off them, and this thing wouldn't even come close. I got him in a pen, I said, I'm going to spray you. I'm doing this for your good. You know what I'm saying? I, I thought, yep, we've got him here. I got him. And I start spraying. And he runs around that pen and he hits that gate with all his power and just takes off. I bring the sprayer even out into the farm lot and he's headed the other direction. And, and you've been there with dogs or animals and you thought... You idiot, I'm just trying to help you. I, I go give Nellie more feed than I give Jumpin' Jimmy just because I can. <laughs> you know, but he doesn't get it. 
Why is she still eating and I'm done already? Because you're jumping Jimmy. You think I am against you. I'm not against you. Eventually I will be, okay? (laughs) But that's the same way we are with God. We think He's against us. He's trying to help us. He's trying to minister in our lives. And, and it grieves the heart of God when, when we don't know His heart, when we don't know His nature, when we don't really know God and we act like He's something that He's not. That's unbelief. But I want to mention three things about true faith. True faith is built by the Word of God and is built on the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's not a belief based on something I stir up inside me. Oh, I I believe God could do this. I I think I'm building up my faith. It's, it's not a belief built on my desires or my emotions or my dreams. It's, it's a faith that's built on the promises of God's Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith is believing what God said. It's not something we build up on our, in ourselves. It's based on the character and promises of God. What do you believe about God? Well, there's a lot of people that believe strange things about God. But is it based on the Word of God? And then the Word of God is given to show us this is the promise of God, This is the character of God, and I can trust that. I believe Him. This is what God said. I believe Him. I'm not going to go on in unbelief. I believe Him. And true faith changes our life. Unbelief literally means not believing, a distrust, a lack of belief, an unwillingness to commit oneself to another. True belief is a commitment to another. True belief is obedient. True belief is submission. We mentioned John 3.16. True belief changes our life, how we live. So, the truth is, Jesus Christ died for sinners. His death, burial, and resurrection provides forgiveness of sins and brings us into fellowship with God. When we believe and place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it changes us. We go from condemned to eternal life. It changes our whole perspective on life, how we view things in life. We sorrow, but not as the world. 
We have hope. We have promise. We have peace. It changes our life. So, once we come into God's family as a child of His, it's then we walk by what? Faith. That's belief. And so, all along the way, it's walking by faith. So, by faith, in Psalm 1, he says, The blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he'll meditate day and night. And when he does, he'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. And whatever he does will prosper. Do you believe that? So, how much do you believe that? Is your delight in his law? And are you meditating in it day and night? Or not? We can say we believe it, but belief will change our actions. We don't really believe it if it's forever a battle for us to get in the Word. And God says, I can't believe it. I told my children, if you will get in my Word and meditate therein day and night, I will bless you. And, and I'm not talking about just prosperity and riches and things. He'll make your life worth living. And God says, but look, at, they're ignoring my word. I can't believe it. He can't believe our unbelief. I, I put it right there. I, I, I wrote to them, this book is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that you may be mature and completely equipped for every good work. And he says, I can't believe it. They, they ignore my word. He says, I told them, in my presence is fullness of joy. I can't believe it. They're chasing after this for joy. They're chasing after this for joy. I told them where fullness of joy was. He marvels at our unbelief. God, I need you more than I need anything else. I need you more than, than the very air that I breathe. I cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. He says, I can't believe it. I, I invited them to pray about everything. And that the peace of God then would rule in their hearts. And I can't believe how little they pray about. And then they're, they're filled with all this anxiety and they're trying to do all these things to calm. And breathe in, breathe out, do all these things. He says, I can't believe it. I told them if they'd pray, if they'd walk with me, they'd have a peace that passes all understanding. He says, I can't believe it. 
I forgave them all their sin. And they are holding bitternesses and grudges against someone over something that compared to their sin is minuscule. He, he has to be thinking, no way. In fact, he gave the parable in Matthew 18 of the guy that had millions forgiven him and went and grabbed a, a fellow citizen by the neck and said, you owe me this minuscule amount and throw him in prison. Jesus says, you want all my forgiveness but you don't believe that I will show mercy to those that are merciful. You don't believe that if you don't forgive your brother, I won't forgive you. I, I can't believe that you don't believe that, God's saying. God says, I invite you to come to me and test my generous spirit. You give to me, just, just see if I won't open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings that you cannot contain. And yet we're tight-fisted and we don't give to God and, and we wonder why we're struggling he says, I'm not, able to do, I'm not able to do many mighty works among you. I'm not able to show my power in, in your life because you, aren't, you don't believe me. Jim Berg has put together ten timeless truths about God. And not every day of the week, but the vast majority of days, I remind myself, I go through this list and remind myself that this is the character and nature of God. And in thinking of this, I was reminded of this. Do I really believe this about God? Number one is, he is always wise in what he does. Well, if I really believed that, I wouldn't be complaining about what he's doing in my life. I wouldn't be complaining about the circumstances of my life. In my mind, mulling over, complaining, it's really saying, God, I don't believe you're really wise. He is always trustworthy. Why do I resist submitting to Him? Because I don't really believe He's always trustworthy. I don't, I don't understand it, so I don't know if I want to submit to that. He is always the same. The same God for Noah and Daniel and Stephen and Paul and John is the same God for me. Do I really believe that? He is always in control of all things. Always. 
I don't really believe that because look at all this stuff that's going on and they're cheating here and this and you can't believe this and everything's a mess. And God says, wait a minute, I'm in control. Are you at peace with that? I mean, as I go through this, it's like, oh God, I believe, help thou this pile of unbelief that's in my life. He's always present with me. Do I really believe that? More times than not, I live as though He's not present with me. The difference it would make if I really believe that. He always gives me the grace I need, always. And on every one of these, there's scriptures that back it up. Our faith is based on not just some guy that wrote truth. It's based on scriptures. And we printed off these ten timeless truths. They're on the back table if you want to pick them up. And take them and say, God, help thou my unbelief. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm filled with anxiety. I don't know what I'm going to do. It's evidence I don't believe God's grace is sufficient for me. My God will supply. Do I really believe that? He will always love me personally. Always. Well, it doesn't seem like He loves me. Why would this be happening? This doesn't seem right. Do I really believe He loves me? He will always meet my genuine needs. You know, I'm reminded, we mentioned and showed Rami in the ministry in Damascus. There is living faith that, that is manifested and has changed their lives. They're able to go on and minister. And we don't know where tomorrow's provisions for this are going to be, but God will meet my genuine needs. He is always willing to forgive my sins. There's some of you that are still beating yourselves up about sins that you've done that God's forgiven. He's buried in the depths of the deepest sea. They're not to be brought up ever again, but you keep beating yourself up with them. It's unbelief. And it hinders God's work. It grieves the heart of God. He's always up to something good in my life. Always. In other words, this difficulty that I'm in, I can't see it, but somehow God is up to something good in my life. And He is able to make even this work together for good. And so I'm going to rest in Him. I believe it. Can I see it? No. Do I understand it? No. Do I have it figured out? God, if you do this and this and this, then something good. There's times you can't even figure it out. But I believe. Or am I going to go on in unbelief? See, each of us has an opportunity.
to make God say, that is unbelievable. By our faith, in obeying Him, maybe when everything says not to, or by our unbelief. When He says, I can't, I can't believe it. This is my hometown. These are people I grew up with. These are people I love. And, and they don't believe who I am. Today, he says, these are my children. I've, I've saved them, and, and yet they doubt me, and they question me, and they won't submit to me, and they won't seek me, and I can't believe it. So which is it in your life? That Christ is marveling at your belief or your unbelief. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would make personal in our lives and help us to see our unbelief. I pray urgently and fervently for any that have never come to you for the forgiveness of sin They are forfeiting eternal life and will be condemned forever to the lake of fire. Lord, I pray today that they would call unto you for mercy and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, I pray for every believer here today. May your Spirit show us where we are guilty of the sin of unbelief. Lord, I pray, help Thou my unbelief. And may I truly see the nature of You and the character of You and the promises of You. And may I have an unwavering faith in You that would bring honor to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.